0: Here to talk about the Palestinian BDS campaign, what it is, how it is growing, and why the efforts to stop it will fail, is Andrew Kadi, an organizer and steering committee member of the US Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Mr. Kadi is a blogger at the Electronic Intifada, a member of Al Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network, and he has written for or appeared in The Guardian, USA Today, The Forward, TRT, City Lab, Mondo Weiss, the New York Daily News, and the BBC. I've heard him organizing Students for Justice in Palestine. And for the past 16 years, Mr. Kadi has mobilized students and activists at the grassroots level and organized digital campaigns and raised awareness and advocated change. Please come to the podium and we're so happy to have you.
1: Well, thank you for having me here. Uh, Let's see if it's feasible to have this water on the podium. It is. Um, So I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, Oh, I do need to get my... Everybody pray to the clicker gods. Wonderful. Uh, Wonderful. There we go. All right. Great. Unarmed resistance to Israeli policies, repression, and military occupation, including the martial law that was imposed on Palestinian citizens of Israel between 1948 and 1966, is nothing new. In the 1930s, Palestinians carried out a general strike, shutting down centers of commerce and bringing popular protests to the street. In the 1980s, as most of you are aware, the first intifada or uprising happened and was a wave of popular protests that included guerrilla schooling, meaning like people sneaking around from house to house in in order to be able to continue their education in light of Israel shutting down Palestinian schools. And it also involved a boycott of Israeli products and Israeli taxation. Um, the first intifada was mostly recognized, though, uh, by images of young Palestinians throwing stones at armored Israeli soldiers and vehicles. And some of you may remember at the time that uh, Yitzhak Rabin had this saying about how they will break their bones for those who are throwing stones. Didn't mean to make that rhyme. Um, Many Palestinians in the West Bank decided to stop paying the taxes demanded of them by the Israeli military and in the the town of Beit Sahur, they actually decided that they would replace uh, Israeli dairy products by using their own cows to produce them, as depicted in the film The Wanted 18, which hopefully some of you have seen. Um, And if you have seen it, you know that Israel declared, the Israeli military declared these cows a national security threat to the state of Israel and dispersed them in their popular protest. Uh, in the 2000s, the second intifada broke out, and though it was largely armed, it also saw unarmed protests spreading throughout Palestinian villages, particularly along the route of Israel's proposed wall. And those villages included Biddu, Jayus, Budros, Bil'ain, Na'alin, Beit Omar, Al Maasara, Beit Zahur, and many more, only to be crushed by a heavy, uh, heavily armed Israeli presence. Then we come to 1993, where the PLO under Yasser Arafat conceded most of the historic uh, Palestinian homeland for the promise of having a state on 22% of it Uh, that led to the formation of the Palestinian Authority. But instead, as most of you probably know, between 1993 and 2000, the number of settlers almost doubled, and by now it has nearly tripled. The agreement also made space for a lot of joint Israeli-Palestinian ventures that, in the name of peace, even though the military occupation continued. In 2004, the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, ruled that the Israeli wall had to come down due to its route, um, judging it illegal and also reiterating that Israeli settlements are illegal. Um, notably, there was not a state response to this, At this point, Palestinians for the past couple of years had been meeting with their South African counterparts and learning more and better understanding more the struggle against South African apartheid. Uh, There we go. In 2005, over 170 Palestinian civil society organizations decided that it was time to enforce the ICJ's ruling and called for a South Africa-style boycott. That call has three demands, equality for Palestinian citizens of Israel, an end to Israel's military occupation and dismantling of its wall, and the right of return for Palestinian refugees. As you can see, this is the modern day uh, sort of uh, incarnation of this call, which is the Palestinian Boycott National Committee, uh, which is maintained, maintaining the boycott and is a wide swath of Palestinian civil society, including trade unions, women's organizations, faith-based organizations, students, and many more. So, this BDS coalition essentially represents hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Palestinians um, through these organizations. What is the, v- the value of BDS as a tactic? The first and foremost value, I think, is that this focuses uh, the discourse on what Israel is doing and does not simply become a debate about whether there is or is not an occupation. It becomes a discussion of Palestinian rights. Ultimately, through campaigns, you're actually able to educate people about these issues, but with an end goal in mind, rather than simply having the debate, walking away, and nothing changing. This is also a rights-based discourse, right? This is no longer about solutions, states, uh, and just land. It's about human rights, a single Palestinian body, an indigenous population, right? The Palestinians are one people. This also addresses our complicity in the US and internationally, Because as you all know and have heard here today, Israel is singled out by the US for some $4 billion a year in aid, unlimited veto power with one exception recently, um, a non-profit status for organizations that are actually funding the Israeli military and Israeli settlements. This is a tactic with history, as you all know in Montgomery, in California with the great boycott, and in South Africa most famously. In South Africa, some of the successes that came about, a seven-year campaign pressuring Polaroid uh, led, uh, pressuring Polaroid to leave South Africa led to them cutting ties. In the year 1986 alone, Barclays, Coca-Cola, IBM, General Motors, and Kodak all either withdrew from South Africa or cut their ties and s- explicitly cited apartheid. Imagine the corporations actually being honest about why they're leaving. In fact, that year, at least 22 U.S. companies cut ties to apartheid South Africa. In one instance where a company did not, the Shell Corporation was actually punished by New Jersey State, which refused to allow them to operate service stations on the New Jersey Turnpike, and that was as late as 1991. This boycott is one of the Israeli state, Israeli companies, and international companies that are participating in Israel's violation of Palestinian rights. And you can see here some of the corporations that have been targeted over the past 10 years. Uh, Caterpillar is one that I haven't pictured here, but has been prominently featured in boycott campaigns. Ah, that's right, Hewlett-Packard isn't featured here and has been a major part of campaigns recently. I'm gonna start with a few cases, uh, one of which is Lev Levayev, an Israeli businessman who Forbes magazine described as the king of diamonds, who has funded and built Israeli settlements, and a campaign targeting him saw UNICEF, Oxfam, the UK government, and celebrities all distance themselves from him. He was hit with divestment by one of the largest investment banks in the world, BlackRock, uh, the Norwegian Pension Fund, and others. His company, which after only three years of campaigning against them announced they were no longer involved in settlements, uh, later we discovered was actually lying and continued to operate in Israeli settlements. But most recently, after 10 years of protests and creative actions in front of his stores, uh, Leviev's flagship New York City diamond storefront has closed, as have three other stores that he was operating from. <laughs> Another company is G4, a multinational security firm that you probably would see patrolling a local business or an embassy Uh, But you will also see working in US prisons, for example. The company was helping operate Israeli prisons, providing equipment and services to Israeli military checkpoints, settlements, and military and police buildings. The campaign targeting them saw the United Methodist Church sell shares in G4S, as well as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which remarkably sold over $180 million in shares after a campaign pressuring them. In Durham County, North Carolina, they stopped working with G4S after a local campaign that cost the company at least a million dollars. And later, a very large, I believe, $132 million contract with the BBC was lost after a campaign targeting the BBC. Eventually, G4S announced it was leaving and selling off its Israel operations, and as you can see, that has already started. Veolia is a French multinational that was involved in the Jerusalem light rail that crossed the Green Line and was running waste management in Israeli settlements, if you can imagine that. That means dumping waste onto Palestinian villages. They lost over $20 billion in contracts due to boycotts, uh, and actually at some point a financial analyst presenting at the company's uh, shareholders meeting acknowledged that fact. They lost out on contracts across the globe, but those included St. Louis, Missouri here in the US where they became the, de- the subject of a mayoral debate. So that means two main candidates decided to debate over whether Veolia should or shouldn't be allowed to operate. Eventually, Veolia announced it was selling off all of its Israeli assets. It was probably the $20 billion that did it. Um, oh, oh, I mixed up, yeah. The boycott is also a cultural one. The boycott, is, it's cultural and academic as well, in addition to economic. Unlike in South Africa, I don't know how many people are familiar with it, the boycott there was actually a blanket boycott, so there were no exceptions. Um, but in this case, there are exceptions on the Palestinian side. I can get into that in the Q&A. Um, The biggest part of the South African boycott was actually a sports boycott, which meant a lot to South Africa. It's standing in the world. Mind you, this is what normalizes South Africa within the international community, right, is that they were a major participant in cricket, in rugby, and at the Olympics. And they were basically kicked out of the Olympics and also banned from the first two uh, cricket World Cups. I know most of us don't watch cricket, probably. Um, on the cultural side, artists uh, across the spectrum decided to boycott uh, South Africa. As you probably know, there was the famous Sun City song that was produced by Steve Van Zandt. Um, and, and so it is that... What's that? Oh, so it is that we moved to, to Israel. Um, Brand Israel, which was launched in 2005 and expanded in 2009 after war are on Gaza, uh, is basically a branding campaign for the state. In 2009, the Deputy Director General for Cultural Affairs of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs told the New York Times, we will send well-known novelists and writers overseas, theater companies, exhibits. This way you show Israel's prettier face so we are not thought of purely in the context of war. After 2009, Israel started to do things like uh, creating a brand ambassador. If you look up somebody named Joel Lyon, he was the first Israeli brand ambassador. The boycott has actually been endorsed by a significant number of artists. Give me one moment, I think I'm out of order here. Um, Including, as you can see, Elvis Costello, Roger Waters, who actually decided that he would perform in Israel and then later decided that that was actually a bad decision and announced his support for a boycott of Israel. Um, Artist Cassandra Wilson, Santana, canceled, I think, in 2010, and later decided to go back. And, of course, the moral beacon of the world, Snoop Dogg, canceled his concert in <laughs> Israel. Um, additionally, additionally, you have uh, profound authors like Juno Diaz, Cornel West, Naomi Klein, and Alice Walker endorsing BDS. You have Stevie Wonder canceling, I mentioned the 501c3 status, canceling a fundraiser for the Israeli military that was tax-exempt, by the way. Um, You have Lauren Hill, one of the biggest cancellations to date, withdrawing withdrawing from her show and actually explaining why to her fans. And in just the past year, the two biggest cancellations have probably been famed singer Lord, which I was in Palestine for that cancellation, I saw the impact it had on Palestinians, I was inside what's now Israel. And Super Bowl champion and pro bowler Michael Bennett of the Seattle Seahawks, who set the stage, yeah, he deserves it, set the stage for half the delegation of NFL players to cancel an expenses paid trip to Israel. It is also worth mentioning Vic Mensa, a rapper who recently penned an op-ed in Time magazine entitled, What Palestine Taught Me About American Racism. Now, on the flip side, Israel also has its brand ambassadors who are cultural workers. As an example, Israel uses Edan Reichel, this uh, artist that you see on the screen. He's viewed as an artist in favor of peace and harmony, someone who's multicultural and inclusive. But he actually describes being part of the Israeli army as a key ingredient to an Israeli identity, which I'm sure Gideon would not appreciate but would maybe agree with. Uh, He's played for soldiers, attacked in attacking Gaza before, during, and after Israel's war. Uh, And he's been working for the Israeli government through tours uh, for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. You see Raichel conquers Africa, presentations to the Israeli Knesset, and more. Um, So this is an example of where the state is actually sponsoring an artist and bringing him over here for propaganda. On the academic side, you had cancellations like Stephen Hawking deciding not to go to an academic conference despite it being at the invitation of the Israeli president at the time. A number of academic associations have passed resolutions to endorse and participate in the academic boycott, the largest one being the American Studies Association. And ultimately, you have other areas and approaches I realize I should at least mention, which are student groups, faith-based institutions, municipalities. Among faith-based groups, the Presbyterian Church and Friend Fiduciary have together divested over $21 million. And they are just two of over a dozen faith-based organizations that include pension funds, church regions, and more that have taken action. Nearly 50 campuses, including nearly all of the University of California, shout out to Rabob, have passed student divestment resolutions, and one campus has actually divested funds. Across the globe and not long ago in New York, Groups of artists have signed on to boycott pledges, proactively endorsing BDS and committing not to play in Israel. And most recently, the New Orleans City Council passed and then rescinded a resolution framed around ethical investment and avoiding human rights violators. And notably, in that instance, uh, defenders of Israel had to actually show up and argue that this entire thing should not be passed on the basis of just Israel being targeted, Um, which I think there's an implicit acknowledgement there. And um, there's been endorsements across movements. So for example, groups like Mecha representing Chicanos, um, the Movement for Black Lives, and other groups fighting racism and state violence have also announced their support for BDS. (laughs) Given Rabob and and, and and Barry's talk, I'll probably keep this uh, section pretty brief. Um, As early, I mean, obviously BDS has drawn the ire of state and party actors across the US and in Israel. As early as 2009, APAC's executive director was describing BDS as a threat, and the Israeli government response began with holding a conference that brought together government ministers, uh, NGO uh, like staff from NGOs, uh, and intelligence officials to have a conference about BDS. Essentially, what they called the growing anti-Semitism, without acknowledging that uh, BDS includes lots of Jewish folks and is not actually it's an actually anti-racist movement. The Israeli government commissioned a report by the Reut Institute, which you can see here, Ali Abunameh wrote about, calling for sabotaging the Palestine Solidarity Movement, among other strategies. Um, A report, Netanyahu uh, declared in a report from the Jewish People Policy Institute that he had assigned the overall responsibility for the campaign against delegitimization to the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, which included the coordination of efforts with NGOs in Israel and all over the world and a role that will include the establishment of a professional special staff for countering delegitimization, which is mostly about BDS. And the Israeli government was caught coordinating with Stand With Us, a US-based group, um, such as in the instance of, I think the Olympia Food Co-op boycott. Also, the CEO of SodaStream, one of the companies that was the target of a boycott that led them to leave the West Bank settlement they were operating out of, made his way to the U.S. to be part of congressional anti-BDS hearings. Um, Here you can just see some of what's been happening at the state level, right? I'll talk a little bit about Trump's pick, although folks did already. They talked a little bit about Kenneth Marcus and the use of Title VI, uh, the idea of discrimination against Israel as a reason that you shouldn't be able to boycott or even have free speech on campus. Hillary Clinton, big supporter of uh, AIPAC and also a, outspoken critic of BDS. Um, The approaches to fighting BDS so far have been trying to legislate against BDS. There's been state level legislation. There have been attempts to add clauses about boycotts of Israel in trade agreements in the US. And as I mentioned, the use of Title uh, VI complaints claiming discrimination. Again, the person who has headed those Title VI complaints is actually somebody that Trump wants to appoint to the Department of Education. They have also tried to defund organizations. So for example, New York State tried to target uh, public schools with an American Studies group within them if they were part of the American Studies Association. So they would try to defund them somehow. Um, As you also know, Governor Cuomo of New York issued an executive order banning uh, the working with companies that have actually uh, participated in or endorsed the boycott or decided to withdraw from Israel, as has Illinois and a number of other states. In 2010, a number of national Jewish American organizations who identify as Zionist came together to put $6 million towards fighting BDS. Uh, now you see in 2015, a new campus group called the Campus Maccabees formed, formed by top Republican donor Sheldon Adelson in conjunction with top Democratic donor Haim Saban, um, and they put $50 million into place to fight BDS. So you can see the difference uh, fiscally The latest Israeli government funding for anti-BDS work is reported to be $72 million. And there are a number of covert efforts that have been underway, including the use of lawyers across Europe and the U.S. to try to file lawsuits uh, and target BDS activists and institutions. The Ministry of Strategic Affairs and Gilad Ardan are now responsible for blacklisting groups, including the organization that I am proudly on the steering committee of. Um, And Canary Mission is a website that has been set up explicitly to blacklist and target uh, activists, scholars, and more in the same sort of, along the same theme as previous uh, organizations and websites that existed like Masada 2000 and Daniel Pipes Campus Watch. For anyone who doesn't know Daniel Pipes, bears an eerie resemblance to Oscar the Grouch. Um, I want to highlight these two articles side by side here where you can see that basically on one hand, Israel says that the efforts are, uh, sorry, that the efforts, wow. Israel says that the efforts are failing. And on the other hand, it says that uh, they are growing the efforts to actually combat BDS. Um, ultimately, this is, by the way, that, that is like similar to the idea of like there are no Palestinians, but also they're trying to kill us. It's like saying it doesn't exist, but then Israel's efforts have helped us actually to grow. The Center for Constitutional Rights, the ACLU, and others have jumped in to fight on the infringement of Palestine solidarity activists' rights. Um, Efforts to legislate have already started to be ruled unconstitutional, as you can see in this case in Kansas that the uh, ACLU worked on. And now we've also started to go on the offensive. So uh, Congresswoman Betty McCollum has actually put together legislation defending... Defending Palestinian children and calling for their rights to be recognized and for israel to uh, israel's aid to be conditioned uh, if they are not able to sort of explain this and stop this practice of imprisoning uh, and well and violating the rights of Palestinian children. ultimately, we have a pretty long way to go, um, but you know. I think as one journalist told me from South Africa, one day we thought we had 20 years left in the struggle against apartheid, and the next day I woke up and we were in negotiations for the end. So thank you.
0: So would you like to stay there for questions? Okay. So there are a lot of questions that people have um, come up with, and this is What is your answer to people who say that BDS is anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish?
1: I mean, to me, the first thing I would say is I would suss those out because those are are different in many ways. But um, when people tell me that BDS is anti-Israel, my response is typically first and foremost uh, to say that, I mean, well, I could say there is nothing wrong with being against the state. I don't even, like, understand that argument. You must really love states. Um, because I wouldn't be called, if I fought for rights in the U.S., would I be called anti-American? But ultimately the idea is if you're saying that forcing Israel to become a state for all of its citizens is anti-Israel, then what are you saying about the state of Israel? And the other thing I think is when you say that it is anti-Jewish, one of the biggest questions that comes to mind is whether you're recognizing that the majority of Jews do not live in Israel, I mean, that's a pretty offensive statement. And also it's almost inherently anti-Semitic in a way because you're implying that all Jews have one monolithic politic and they all support one particular state. So that's a disturbing (laughs) idea. This is an anti-racist movement and the intention is not to target any one group of people but to target a state actor and its policies.
0: Was there legislation um, against BDS when it came to South Africa?
1: Uh, admittedly, I do not know if there was. I think that there, I, if I recall, I don't know if folks have watched it, but there's a documentary called Have You Heard from Johannesburg, it's brilliant. And I think when I was reading about it, there were efforts to legislate against the South African boycott in that film.
0: Okay. What can consumers do when it comes to Costco and Staples carrying Israeli products?
1: So, I mean, I would encourage people to connect first and foremost with national groups like ours. So. Uh, like the USCPR, the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, um, Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, and other groups that have been doing this work like, uh, you know, there's American Muslims for Palestine. There are a number of organizations across the country that have been doing this work. I would encourage folks to, t- to sort of tie in first and foremost and see what kind of resources and information you can get. For example, the American Friends Service Committee has a database of information about these companies. But um, the other thing is, you know, I personally have found in a number of instances, I just wrote to companies. I started letter writing campaigns, um, started to challenge them. There was actually one targeting Costco a while back that got them to pull one or two products off their shelf. I think Ahava was one of them. And so I think the key is, is like, you know, being connected to folks in your area and maybe like trying to start with one store, for example, and asking them why they sell it. Never be presumptuous and assume that because something's being sold somewhere, they're like in full support. Uh, I've had a lot of success also with small businesses locally, which is one more reason to support small businesses over large corporations.
0: And maybe you just answered this. Is there a list of items that we should not be purchasing somewhere on a website?
1: So I'll say this. I mean, folks often ask that question. The first thing I'll say is that it's important to recognize that The power of BDS is not so much in like um, presenting people with a list of a thousand items, but more in being part of targeted campaigns, right? It's like domino effect. You got to like press in one place and keep moving. Um, But in terms of the lists, I mean, Adela New York, which I organized with uh, New York City has a pretty useful list. Um, I think that I think the BDS Movement itself on the BDS Movement website may have a list now that's new. This is not the thing you probably saw circulating five to ten years ago. Um, And their website is bdsmovement.net. But yeah, I think most of the time I actually look companies up. So I I Google them, I look up like who the owner is, and that's how I determine uh, that a product is Israeli.
0: Okay. We've got like two minutes left. Is boycotting states here in the U.S. that fight BDS going too far? How best to do it and publicize doing it? Say that again. Boycotting states in the U.S.A. that are fighting BDS, like?
1: I mean, I, I think that you will, I'll just say I think that that's expending a lot of energy. Yeah.
0: Okay, I don't, I don't know how you boycott a state. Okay, let's see. What so how can Palestinian citizens of Israel support BDS?
1: So there is a newly formed group called BDS 48, and it's Palestinian citizens of Israel. And what they did is they launched a call. Now, ultimately, as Palestinian citizens, I don't know. I mean, it's they're limited in what they can do. I know many Palestinian citizens of Israel for years have not bought Israeli settlement products, for example. But all in all, I think the key is actually being outspoken, but also organizing. To me, BDS is a movement that is more about the, the international community. It's a solidarity movement in the sense that We're the ones who are complicit. The majority of money that Israel uses to oppress Palestinians does not come from Palestinians. It comes from the U.S., it comes from Europe, and so the onus is on us mainly. Palestinians inside, honestly, have a lot of organizing to do and work, and I can say that Palestinian citizens of Israel have been doing an amazing job recently of organizing themselves.
0: Okay, I'm having some uh, handwriting difficulties here, but can you talk about the growing discussion or debate of pinkwashing feminist Zionists, in a post-Trump Women's March community?
1: Sure, I mean, um, I guess I can say that pinkwashing, for folks who don't know, is the campaign by Israel to brand itself as an LGBTQ-friendly place, right? Obviously, it erases Palestinian uh, queers altogether. They're sort of erased. The LGBT community has just disappeared. And uh, in reality, I think uh, Gideon mentioned Tel Aviv as a bubble. It is, and when people talk about uh, the LGBT community, and when Israel's marketing itself, it's largely about Tel Aviv. Um, To me, Tel Aviv is the sun city of Israel. And I think that um, ultimately, you know, lifting up Palestinian LGBTQ folks who are protesting this is one way, but also recognizing that no matter what, whether it's environmental or it's LGBTQ issues or other issues, um, there is, on one hand, there is no reason to then be homophobic, by the way, but at the same time, like, you do need to actually, um, we do need to actually sort of highlight that these things don't erase the crimes of the Israeli state, and that, that they do do is they erase the Palestinians who are suffering under those uh, crimes, who are themselves uh, LGBTQ, and, and I'll just add that Israel's military occupation and what it's done to Palestinian citizens of Israel has removed a lot of the ability for Palestinians to have a civic infrastructure. And to me, that's one of the most demeaning things is when people ask me about, for example, LGBTQ rights in, let's say, the Palestinian Authority, um, and I'm like, there is no Palestinian Authority. Like, the PA exists as a function of what Israel wants it to do, by and large, and it governs a very small part of the West Bank.
0: Okay, and I'm gonna try to have three questions, really fast answers, because we are out of time. Should we um, only, boycott settlement goods or all of Israeli products and so, services?
1: So there is no, there's a common differentiation that's made between settlement products and uh, and Israel's goods in general. Um, if you have ever read the reports of economists like Shir Hever, um, or even read Gideon's articles actually, um, you will see that, in fact, there's tons of commingling, like uh, the Israeli companies actually use lots of products from the settlements, and even the ones that avoid being labeled in Europe, for example, now as West Bank products are using West Bank goods. There are videos of it where Israelis have documented grapes coming from the West Bank and being brought into wineries inside of Israel to be used. So the reality is actually that there is not a whole lot of difference. If you look at Europe, Banks, uh, Israeli banks were basically banned, I think, and I think it's, I don't know, it's a number of banks basically cut off Israeli banks because they realized how invested they were in the Israeli settlement trade, given Europe's sort of the EU's new posturing, uh, I use the word posturing, notice, um, around settlement goods.
0: Okay, and this is maybe a question and an answer in the same thing. I'm ashamed of my Senator Ben Cardin in Maryland, his bill for introducing uh, five, seven, 20. can you talk about this, 20 years in jail and up to $1 million in penalties and fines? And then uh, we have uh, Mr. Siegel in the audience who is, um, wants to defeat Senator Ben Cardin in the June primary in Maryland. So is that the answer? Anyway.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that to some degree that is the answer, yeah. Question answered.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. No and
1: problem. We, Thank you guys that's for having
0: me. the best BDS speech I've ever heard. Next panel. Okay.
1: Oh, i got to give